Deuteronomy chapter 31, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 31 on page 201, if you're using a pew Bible, Deuteronomy 31, page 201. So where do we go from here? This morning is our last uh, sermon in this study of the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. For those of you who've been with us for the last year or so, you know that uh, we've been in this for a while. We, our first uh, study in this was on September 10th, 2010. So we're about 13 months in this Old Testament book. And it's been interesting because we, we've sort of studied Deuteronomy in parallel with the construction project. So as we've worked our way through Deuteronomy, we finished this building project uh, also uh, last month. And, and that was intentional, by the way, uh, because we've been uh, not only trying to build a new facility, but we've wanted to make sure that as we're building a new facility, we are studying what's far more important, how to be a healthy biblical church. Um, and Deuteronomy is all about God's people living in covenant with each other and living in covenant with God. And so the goal was to, to not only build a, a, a pretty new building, and it is lovely, but when the doors opened and people came into the new building, that they would find a healthy biblical church inside the church building. And so our elders were concerned that our church be spiritually growing as a congregation even as we were physically constructing a new space for us to gather. And so this morning we, we come to the end of Deuteronomy 31. And again, the question is, where do we go from here? And when I ask that question, I don't just mean, what are we studying next on Sunday morning? I mean, like, where is our church going from here? What's next? All right, so we've built this building, and it's awesome. And we've oohed, and we've awed, and we had the grand opening, and we had the open houses, and we've had the recognition service, and, and we're all sort of figuring it out. And, and you know, it's, it's done. I mean, there's always more to do. Uh, you know, it'll probably take another year just for us to get all the bugs worked out. And, I mean, really, when is anything ever really done when it comes to a house or a, a new construction? But for all intents and purposes, here we are. And, and so now what? What is, what is next for our church? What should we be about? And I'd like to suggest that here in this last study of Deuteronomy 31, we find guidance because just as the Israelites were kind of in a transition point in their history in Deuteronomy, just as they were about to leave the wilderness wanderings and enter into the promised land, just as they were about to leave Moses behind and follow Joshua. So we're in a kind of transition point as well as a church with this new facility and sort of a new day. And now what? And I think that as we look in Deuteronomy 31, we find an answer that was not only God's call upon Israel, but in some ways was God's, was God's call upon the church as well. And so what do we do from here? I think the answer is this. We get on with our mission. We get going with what God has called his church to be all about. We, we, we move on with God's plan for the congregation. And that plan is one of global invasion. <laughs> look at Deuteronomy 31. Let's look at God's plan, his mission for Israel. 
He said uh, in verse 31, Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I'm sorry, chapter 31, verse 1. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, You shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. So God is saying to Israel, look, time to get on with your mission. And your mission, Israel is to go into the promised land and take it over. Moses is about to die. He's 120. God says, this is the end of the line for you, Moses. Joshua is taking over. But now it's time to go and to do what God's called you to do, to drive out the Canaanites and inhabit the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, I'm not going to address this morning the thorny theological questions of why God would call the Israelites to go conquer someone else's land. Um, I've addressed that at length in some other sermons as we kind of work through Deuteronomy. And if that's something you're interested in wrestling with, I'd be happy to kind of point you toward that. Uh, but, but just enough to say this morning that that was their mission. It was a mission of invasion. It was a mission of taking over an area and establishing God's kingdom in that area according to God's plans. And I'd like to suggest this morning that in some ways similar, some ways dissimilar, it's like our mission as the church, that God has given a mission to the church, and it is a, a mission of global invasion, but not through force and violence, but through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. That God still has a kingdom that's still going among the nations, but it's a kingdom that is growing in the hearts of people who are coming to Christ. I would like uh, to just take you through the New Testament briefly. I'd like to show you three texts just really quickly that I think are good summaries of what God's mission for the church is in the New Testament. So if you wouldn't mind putting a bookmark here, and we'll come back to Deuteronomy 31, but I'd like to show you three New Testament texts summarizing the church's mission. The first one is in Matthew chapter 28, page 989. Where do we go from here? Well, we need to get on with our mission. And what is our mission? Well, here's three summary verses. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20 at the very end of Matthew's gospel. Here's Jesus, risen from the dead, about to go back into heaven, just like Moses was about to leave the Israelites. Jesus is about to leave the disciples and send them forth on this mission. And he speaks to them. Matthew 28, verse 18, page 989. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says, I'm risen. All authority is mine. I'm sending you out to all the nations. Notice the global focus. Make disciples of all nations. And what's the task? Conquest? No. Disciple making. In other words, to call people to follow Jesus and trust that God is going to call people to himself. And when people respond and come to Christ, gathering them together in churches, hence baptizing 
teaching that happens in churches where people get together and, and we're baptized and we, we learn to grow as disciples. We learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday morning. What it means to be a follower of Jesus throughout the week. And so we're, we're learning to obey him. And, and so this is the church's mission, to proclaim the gospel and to gather disciples into congregations, which in turn continue to proclaim the gospel and gather new disciples and new congregations. And so for the last 2,000 years, that is what God has been doing and is continuing apace today. Let me show you a second text. It's Luke chapter 24 on page 1048 in your pew Bible. Luke chapter 24, another post-resurrection pep talk from Jesus to the disciples in which he's helping them understand what they're supposed to be doing. The disciples are still flummoxed as to why Jesus was crucified, and so he's got to lay it all out for them. Look, this is why I came, he's explaining. And so in verses 45 to 49, he says of Luke 24, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Notice the similar themes. You're going to all nations. This is the message that's going to be preached. This is the gospel. Here you actually have a summary of the gospel. You know, look at this wonderful, pithy little summary of the whole gospel message that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead, the cross and the empty tomb, and then our response should be repentance, verse 47, and then we have our sins forgiven as we turn from our sin and we put our hope in Jesus who was crucified and buried. You know, uh, some of us have been here the last year studying Deuteronomy. Maybe you haven't been here the last year. Maybe you just walked in today. Maybe this is uh, a friend invited you and you decided to come, or maybe you're relatively new to the church. And uh, could I just encourage you by saying, what a great time to be here, because verses 46 and 47 are, are the, a tight summary of the gospel message. Sometimes Christianity can be overwhelming. All the different denominations, all the different Bible translations, there's so much to know. I mean, look, at, I've never read something this thick. I mean, this, is, this is crazy. I mean, how am I supposed to understand all this? I don't feel like I know anything. Could someone just summarize it for me? Look, here it is. If you don't understand anything else about Christianity and about the teaching of Jesus, this is the, 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 uh, the core, the, you know, the basic atom of Christianity. It's the gospel. That Jesus died on a cross for our sins, that he rose again, and if you will turn away from your I'm first, it's all about me life, and repent of that and look to Christ as Savior and Lord, you'll be forgiven and you'll have eternal life. That's the whole gospel. You know, the church doesn't make people Christians. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. We don't have a class or a ritual that can make you a Christian. A Christian is someone who has turned from their sin and put their faith in Jesus and believe that he is the Savior who died for them and rose again. It's through Jesus that we're reconciled to God. And that's the message we take. And it's going to go to all the nations. So there it is, the mission of the church taking the gospel to all nations. One more verse to give you a sense of the mission of the church. Look at Romans chapter 1. 
It's on page 1112 in the Pew Bible, Romans chapter 1. This is now not Jesus, but one of Jesus' followers, the Apostle Paul, writing about three decades-ish after Jesus. And here's Paul after a life of ministry, serving Jesus, going to all the nations, proclaiming the gospel. And look how Paul summarizes it. And notice different words, but same theme. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, through him, that is through Jesus, and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles. That's the same word, nations. All the ethne, all the ethnic groups, to the obedience that comes through faith. And so here's Paul saying the same thing. I received grace from Jesus, and Jesus has now sent me out to all the ethne, that's the Greek word, to all the nations, to all the ethnic groups, and I'm going out to call them to faith in Christ and to obey him. So there's the mission of the church, to go forward, to teach people about Christ and to trust that God will bring whom he wishes to bring, and that those disciples gather together in churches where they love each other and love God and continue to teach the gospel, and this is God's plan. That's why uh, we have this on the front of our bulletins. By the way, if you take out this bulletin for a second, look at the front, you'll notice that we have our mission statement here. Here's our church's attempt to summarize the basic mission of the church. This is on the bulletin every Sunday. You probably don't see it because it's on the bulletin every Sunday. You know, something you see every week, you stop seeing. So let's, let's look at something that we've been overlooking. Here's, here's our way our church has summarized the mission of the church. South Shore Baptist Church exists to glorify God by doing two things. One, worshiping him. We gather to worship him. And two, by making disciples for Christ from the people of the South Shore and beyond. And so that's the way we've kind of summarized it. You could probably summarize it different ways and use different words. But you get the gist? This is the mission of the church, and this is why we're here. This is what we need to be about. Uh, that, that's why after Deuteronomy, the next sermon series is we're going to study the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And the logic behind that is we've got a new building. We're, we're inviting people to know the Lord, and so let's start at the basics. Who is Jesus? Let's just go back to square one. And let's remind ourselves who the Lord is because he is our message. It's interesting. We're going to be studying John in the Sunday morning services. One of our elders, uh, Mark Jennings, during adult Sunday school is teaching the gospel of Matthew in Fellowship Hall. And our, our interim youth director is teaching our junior high students, uh, high school students through the gospel of Mark this year. So we just need someone here to volunteer to do something with Luke. And we're going to have the whole thing covered but, but isn't, isn't it interesting, kind of a, um, an, a, a synergy taking place as, as the whole church is saying, we're here to proclaim Jesus and let's study him as, as we want to invite friends to, to say, I want you to meet Jesus. That's what this is all about, to meet Christ and to know him and to walk with him and to love him. Well, now let's go back to Deuteronomy 31 as we think about our mission, a mission of global invasion to go to all nations with the gospel. And as Israel went on its mission, God gave them some encouraging words. Moses wanted to give them further instruction. And I want to point out two more things in Deuteronomy 31 as we think about going on the mission that God has given us. The first thing I want to point out is is what God has committed to do for us in this mission. And the second thing is what we need to commit ourselves to be about 
in the mission that God's given us. So there's God's part and there's our part. There's something that God commits to and something that we are called to commit to. And the first one is this. What is God committed to do in this mission? And the answer is God is committed to accomplishing the mission. He's the one who's going to do it, which is great. <laughs> you know, It's God's mission and God's like, I'm going to do it. Look at verse 6 in Deuteronomy 31. After he gives them this mission to go into the promised land, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he gives Joshua his successor a pep talk, verse 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous. For you must go with this people into the land the Lord swore to uh, their forefathers to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you. He will be with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I call this this verse, I, I I like to say that it's filled up with couplets of courage. All these couplets of courage. Notice these couplets. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Right? A couplet. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 7, be strong and courageous. Verse 8, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. It's like a drumbeat, a one-two drumbeat. Just a steady rhythm that, that pounds along drumming along, summoning the courage and the confidence of God's people to do this. They can go into the promised land. Why? Because God is going to be with them. That's the, that's the little secret of this invasion of the Israelites into the promised land. They have a secret weapon. The secret weapon is God's going to do it. That's it. You know, We, we talk about sort of the, the theological challenge of holy war, but as I've said in other sermons, it's not really a holy war. It's kind of a holy mop-up operation. Because this battle is not going to be because Israel's a bunch of fierce warriors. They're just going to go in and God is going to supernaturally clear out some people. And Israel's just going to be there with the mop cleaning up behind God. But God is the one. This is going to be a miraculous victory. And so Israel can be confident because God is with them. If Israel wanted to be afraid, there'd be good reasons to be afraid. Israel just have to look in the mirror to be afraid. Because like, who's Israel? Is it Sparta? Is it Athens? Is it a warrior culture? Israel was like Bedouins. They're shepherds. They have sheep. They have staffs. They have tents. And who are they going against? They're going against the Canaanites. These people live in walled cities. They're highly militarized. They're familiar with warfare. They're familiar with the lay of the land. They have uh, weapons. They have metallurgy. They have armor. They have chariots. And here's the Israelites with their slings and sticks and tents and sheep. And they're supposed to take over this promised land? It's ridiculous. And if you look at it from that perspective, there'd be good reason to say, this is crazy, we can't do this, let's go back like they did the first time they came to the promised land 40 years earlier. And I think the same thing is true for us as a church. When we look at the mission of the church to take the gospel to all people and all nations, it, it is a daunting, overwhelming task. I mean, who really is up to this? We could look at ourselves and say, I can't do this. I can't tell people about Christ. God can't use me. I'm a mess, you know? I'm on like four different medications for all my health problems, 
and you know I, I'm, I'm barely making ends meet and I got these problems in my family. I'm really stressed out. Like I am not in a place to be used by God to do anything. You know, I, I need to get all straightened out first, and then maybe I'll be useful to God. Or, or we look at uh, our church and we say, man, our, you know, our church isn't ready to do this. We, we don't have everything together. You know, we're moving this new building, but there's still all these problems, and, and we're not as well organized as we should be, and we have programs in our church that are a little bit clunky, and we need to fix this and that. Maybe we'll get the whole church straightened out, and once we become a finely tuned, well-oiled machine, then we'll be ready to be used by God. You know, newsflash, if that's what we're waiting for, we'll never go out because the church never is like that. Read the New Testament. It's written to messed up churches. You know, they're not like one generation out of Jesus' teaching and, and all these churches spring up and they're all messed up. And so all these letters that the apostles write to the churches, hey, stop doing that and do that and you've got to kick him out of the church and now straighten that out. Make sure this is being taught. Like, it's a big mess. And so the church has always been full of sinners trying to walk in obedience to Christ and struggling. But our hope is not in the church. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It is because this is where Christ is working, but it isn't in the sense that it has to be the church getting it together. It's Christ in us. It's because the Lord is with us. You know, that's what Jesus said uh, there in Matthew 28, right? He said, I'm surely I'm with you to the end of the age. That was the part of the church's mission, that Christ would be with us. That's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24. At the end, he told the disciples, you're going to go out, you're going to go into all the world, you're going to preach this message. Oh, but wait, 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 don't go out just yet. Hang out in Jerusalem. God's going to send you something. He's going to give you power. And the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And then the church was ready to go into the world because God was with them. And so our confidence as a church isn't in our human abilities you know we we don't get stressed out what am i going to say if i try to tell people about jesus they're going to ask me questions they're going to ask me like where are the dinosaurs in the bible i'm not going to know what to say they're going to ask me to explain the trinity and i don't know how to explain that i'm not equipped maybe i'll go to seminary someday maybe if i sit through like 20 years of sunday school classes i might be ready like you have the gospel you have christ you know you are god's plan there isn't a backup plan (laughs) This is it. This is how God has been doing it down for the past 2,000 years. Just taking his disciples and it's because of his power in us and the power of the gospel that God is doing these things. We could get discouraged as we think about the church's mission by looking around the South Shore of Boston and saying this is a really hard place to talk about Jesus. You know, you, you go to people that we know and love and you're like, man, I would really like to talk to you about Jesus Talk about clearing a room fast. You know, that's like, you know, lighting one of those stink bombs and putting it in a room and everyone's like, woo, I'm out of here. Same thing. Let's talk about Jesus. Okay, that's enough. It's a tough place to be a Christian. The statistics show that, you know, something like 12 to 14% of people in Massachusetts attend church on a regular basis. That's all churches, Catholic, Protestant, everything together. Uh, of those churches that are like Bible teaching churches, if you wanted to define that, it's it's more like two to three uh, percent. You know, that's intimidating. We look at our context here and we go, ooh, high walls, high walls of secularism, high walls of intellectual elitism, high walls of uh, 
nominal Christianity. So many people we know had some church growing up and they had enough to say, yeah, that's not it. And you go, well, why don't you try it again? This is different. And they go, yeah, right. And it's really hard to just have an open conversation about the Lord with anybody. And it'd be easy to get discouraged in our context and say, this is a real fool's errand. Why are we doing this? Because the Lord is with us. Because Christ is real. You know, Jesus is risen. Okay, look, either Jesus is risen from the dead or Jesus is not risen from the dead. There's not really a middle position. It's like the continental divide. A drop of rain falls on the continental divide, and if it falls on this side, it goes down to that ocean. If it falls on that side, it goes down to that ocean. The the resurrection of Jesus is our theological continental divide. He either is risen or he isn't. You're either alive or you're not alive. And if he's risen, then anything's possible. And if he's the Lord who's risen from the dead, then that means he holds New England in his hand. And if God wants to shake New England, he can do it. If God wants to judge New England, he can do it. And if God wants to revive New England, he can do it. And that's that's the bottom line. And so our confidence in trying to be his ambassadors here doesn't lay in in our abilities and skills. It's ultimately in his power and in the power of the gospel. Even this whole idea of bringing the gospel to those who were not told, going to the, the nations... I mean, I, look, I can't even get myself straightened out of the church. The South Shore, I'm, I'm, I'm doomed. The, the ends of the earth, I mean, really? No way. That's not going to happen. I'm not equipped for that. Uh, but Christ is Lord of the nations. And so it's because of who he is that we can have hope for the gospel reaching all nations and all places. It's all about God's power. And so just as God told the Israelites, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, don't be anxious, Go and do the mission. Go into the promised land. God sends us out boldly, you know, like people who don't even have our shirts buttoned up and trying to get our backpacks on, and he's kicking us out the door. Go, go, go. And I'm, I'm not ready yet. You're ready. I'm right behind you. I'm leading the way. You go. And God is at work. I was uh, down in New York City this week. I had a, a real privilege of speaking to a group of pastors down there just about church health and preaching the Bible and good stuff like that. And and uh, one of the pastors came up to me after the uh, service, and he says, he goes, you know, i got a sister-in-law. She lives in Hingham. Is that near you? And I was like, <laughs> pretty close. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, that's where the church is. He goes, oh, so you are in Hingham. He's like, well, you know, my, my wife's sister lives there, and, uh, and she's really frustrated because she's searching for something, and she's tried some different churches, and she doesn't know what she's looking for. And, we, you know, could we find a way to have her just invite, have you invite her to your church? So we started, you know, scheming like, well, maybe if your wife comes next time, she can invite her to come to church here or something, you know. Or and I told her about community Bible study, and I was just trying to think about how to help this woman find Jesus. And isn't it weird? Like you go to New York City because you think you're going to help pastors there, but God has this ridiculously complex, awesome super plan for everything He's doing, and. It's like, all right, so to get that person there, Jeremy goes here, and then, you know, this person's there. Because it's all his thing. And we just walk around, and and often we're surprised by what God throws at us. It's his power. He's the orchestrator. We just do what what he calls us to do. Um, Just one more story like that. Um, Jennifer Bull, our worship director, who was playing the piano this morning, uh, a couple weeks ago, 
she got rear-ended in Dunkin' Donuts drive-through line. She was sitting there, you know, waiting to get her coffee, and boom, and uh, you know, someone looking through their change, not watching what they were doing. So you know, they they pulled their car over, and you know, she took the deep breath, got herself settled, and then you know, went out to the woman behind her and said, you know, are you okay? You know, let's make sure everyone's okay. And apparently this woman's like, oh, I'm not okay. I was freaking out. You know, I, I wasn't looking. And she's like, I, I'm not okay. She goes, I lost my job after, like, yeah, I don't know how long, years and years. And, and she says, and my son is addicted to drugs. And she goes, I'm not okay. And Jennifer said, okay, well, let's, let's exchange information. So they exchanged all their insurance information. Then Jennifer said, can I now pray for you? And the woman was like, because, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> We often say that to each other in Massachusetts, as you know. Um, so, uh, okay. I mean, you know, if you just rear-ended someone and they want to pray for you, you're kind of, you're kind of in a spot. You need to let them pray. Um, so she's like, okay. And so Jennifer just prayed, just prayed for this woman. Then after she prayed for the woman, she went to her car. She said, wait a second. And she got this woman a copy of the Gospel of John. And, you know... And now Jennifer has her contact information on the insurance so she can just follow up, see how she's doing. But like, you know, that's what God does. God just works in all kinds of crazy ways and things that, that surprise us. But, but as long as we're sitting around thinking about I can't and there's all these problems and all these limitations and I, I'm not this and I'm not that and the church isn't this and this culture is too tough, you know, we're not even going to be aware to like all of these orchestrations that God is doing and just have the confidence to step out in faith and open our mouths and see what, what God will do and see what, what God can do in our midst. And so God is with us. God is the one who does the work. The mission is to take the gospel to the nations. For God's part, he has promised to never leave us or forsake us, and he's with us through the Holy Spirit. It's his mission, and we are along for the ride in many ways. And yet, there's a part for us too. We're not completely passive. We have to open our mouths. But there's something else that we need to do. And and that is in verses 9 to 13. Our task is to stay faithful to God's word. So God stays faithful to us. And that's why we have confidence and don't have to be afraid. But we have to stay faithful to him. We have to draw close to Christ. And the way we draw close to God, the way you know God and walk closely with God is through faithfulness to his word, knowing him through his word and obeying his word. Because look at verses 9 to 13. So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years in the year of canceling debts, During the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall, get this, read this law before them. So every year, read the whole law to Israel. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the aliens living in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of his law. Not fear the Canaanites, but fear God. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. God's people fear him in the sense of honoring and reverencing him. That's a mark of God's people. And so by staying close to his word, we stay close to him and we fear him and he stays close to us. Because the most important thing we have in this mission is the presence of God. And so we need to stay close to him. 
Look at this. Turn over really quickly to Joshua. It's the next book right after Deuteronomy. This is Joshua. This is post-Moses' death. Now Joshua is ready to go into the promised land. And look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Right after Deuteronomy, Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Does this sound familiar? Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers. Be strong and very courageous. Okay, we've heard that. Then here's the command to follow the word. Be very careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. And we're back to the couplets of courage. So you've got verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verses 7 and 8, stick to the Bible, stick to my word, meditate on it. And then at the end of it, verse 9, back to strong and courageous. So it's kind of like a sandwich. Do you see that? That's how it's been structured. So for our part, we need to cling to the Lord and to his word. And, and draw close to him and know him and love him. And so the, the church then is called to both a going out and also a drawing together around his word. I, I like to say sometimes that I, I think of the, a healthy church as having a kind of tidal rhythm, a, a sort of in and out breathing pattern. It, it, there's sort of a tide to it. You know, the tide comes in and the tide goes out and the tide comes in. And I think that's how a healthy church looks. We all come in, you know, on Sundays especially, but Bible studies or having coffee with another Christian. And as we come in, we gather around the word and we, we teach our hearts again to treasure Jesus above all else. And we, we think about Christ and we love him. And then the tide goes out and we disperse to all the myriad of places we disperse to, schools and homes and Linden Ponds and Hanover and Marshfield and... High, you know, Hingham High School, all the places we go and we disperse back out into the world and then we draw together and we get strengthened in Christ. Then we take Christ back out into the world. And, and so there's this kind of tidal rhythm to the church. And, and so we need to be a people who treasure God's word, not just going out to tell people about Christ, but being a people who worship him here as well. Uh, if you look at the history of the Protestant church in New England from its founding with the Puritans until now, one of the trends you can see is a trend of Protestant churches abandoning the Bible. And the results from that, a lot of dead churches. You know, whether it was the 19th century and the Unitarian movement where rationalism and enlightenment kind of thinking told people, well, you know, Jesus can't be the son of God because miracles aren't true. And so people began to stop believing Jesus was the second person of the Trinity and they became Unitarians and it just killed churches because it was an abandonment of Christianity. It was abandonment of the gospel. Or you think about in the 20th century, the uh, sort of the social gospel movement that came and, and people said, you know, the, the purpose of the church isn't to worry about truth and doctrine and all that stuff. It's just to, you know, the purpose of the church is we've got to fix the problems in society. We need to get out there and do that. And, and you know, the church's mission is not to fix the world. Does that sound funny? The church's purpose is not to fix the world. Because we can't. We can't even fix ourselves. You know, we're proclaiming Jesus returning who will fix the world. And God is changing our hearts and changing us into the kind of people 
who really do care about problems in the world, instead of being so self-centered, we're starting to care about the widow and the alien and the orphan. And we're starting to love the Samaritan, you know, like the good Samaritan, the man on the side of the road. So God is changing us and we're proclaiming the return of Christ. But the mission of the church is not to fix social ills because we can't. It's to proclaim the message that Jesus is the Savior and he's returning and calling people to love and to follow him. And so, uh, you know, we have to make sure that as a church, as we grow, as, as we build, as whatever we do, we stay close to the word of God. I even think about the building project here and, and the way we've sort of come back to God's word, even shaping the architecture of this new building. You know, we just built this new facility uh, 14 years ago, when, I think 13 years ago, when we first started imagining this thing, we, we weren't imagining this. We were imagining uh, a multi-purpose gymnasium space where you could hold worship services, but the emphasis would be on outreach, opportunities to the community, kind of a community center, getting involved in the town that way, which I think is a, can be a fine thing to do. But, but the problem was, uh, you know, it, it's, it wasn't as focused on God's word in the same way. And so we... Uh, went through the town boards and we hit a wall about 2004, 2005 and the thing just kind of stalled out. And so we were like, God, what do you want us to do? But the funny thing was, even though the building plan stalled out, God was still growing the church. We're like, why is the church still growing? We didn't do any basketball leagues. What's happening? Oh, it's his word. (laughs) His word, you know, is being proclaimed. His word is being taught in small groups. All the people in the church are going out and telling their friends about the Lord. The gospel is doing the work. So, so what we did was in the, the second kind of iteration of this, we instead said what we need is a sanctuary where we can worship Jesus, proclaim his word. We need classrooms where Christians and people can gather and study more about Christ and then disperse. And in all of your varied ways to go out into your communities and do whatever it is that God calls you to do to speak the name of Jesus. And, and so it was kind of like we had we had a building project that was fine, but it, but it just was a little bit out of alignment. The building project was out of alignment with our mission, and and I think God gave us a dead end so He could go and bring those back together, like going to the chiropractor. You know, we had to get it realigned, and it hurt a little bit, but it was good. And so now I feel like what we've we've built is more in alignment with what God's word is calling us to be. But that's not just a building; like that's how all of our lives need to be as Christians. Like, all of our lives need to be constantly realigned with God's word. And if we're going to go out and fulfill our mission and be God's people, then that means each of us individually have to say, is my life aligned with the word of God? Or am I calling myself a Christian, but there's some parts of my life that are not the way I know God wants me to be, and I need to bring it back into alignment with that so that I can be in harmony with the Lord and be used by him. And when we do that, amazing things can happen. God can use us. Uh, and that's our calling. It, it's not beyond hope. God, God is in charge. He's sovereign. Uh, just one more encouraging story along these same lines. There's a couple guys in our church uh, who had a heart for some of their friends, other men they knew um, who, who didn't know the Lord and, or they were kind of searching and had questions. So they said, let's get together and we'll do a Bible study. And, and they said, look, it, you know, you guys can come. You can ask any questions you want. It's totally fair game. We're going to study through the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. And we're just going to study those and read them together. So there's a couple of Christians and a whole bunch of guys who, were, who had full of questions and weren't sure what they thought. 
And, and they just started studying the Bible. And, and it's amazing. Friendships gathered and built around that, which, by the way, is amazing for men to get together and be friends. You know, we just don't really do that as men. Um, but, but somehow these guys started forming friendships in a group, and they started studying God's Word together. And that's gone on now for a couple years. And a couple weeks ago, they actually all went away down to the Cape for a spiritual retreat to just hang out together and study the Bible for a weekend. Like, that doesn't happen with guys. You know, when guys go away, like they go camping to drink beer and swear. You know, when, when guys go away, like they go to Vegas and, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I mean, that's what guys do when they go away. They don't go to the Cape to study the Bible. Like, it's just so amazing. How did this happen? It's just a gradual process of, of a few guys sitting down with people that they cared about saying, would you be interested in reading this with me and letting God do the work? And sometimes that's what you have to ask. So often people are hesitant about the Bible. One of the biggest objections I hear to the Bible is, well, I mean, you know, I, I mean, why read the Bible? There's so many different interpretations out there of the Bible. People have so many different takes on it. And so, so I, you know, I like to ask, well, well, which is the interpretation that's giving you problems? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't actually have read the Bible. I'm just saying there's lots of interpretations. So I was like, well, you should crack it, man. You should check it out. Like, do you want to sit down and read about it? I don't know. Well, why don't you just read it? Hey, here's some people who are reading it together. And then just let the Bible, like, go, you know, it's a virus. Like, you get it injected, and then it just takes over. So you just have to let people see what God's Word has to say and, and let them find Christ on their own in the Word. And that's all we have to do as a church is be faithful to the gospel, be faithful to his word. Where do we go from here? Here's the real honest answer. I don't know. I just don't know. I know what we're supposed to be doing. I don't know what it's going to look like five years from now. Which I think is really fun. To simply be on a mission. This isn't a program. This isn't a kit that we bought somewhere that has a, a certain process we're following. This is real life. This is real time. This is better than reality TV. This is reality. And it's us being God's servants right here, right now, opening ourselves up to God's mission to share the gospel. And we don't know what's going to happen. I just know what we should be about. And so may we as a church put our trust in Christ and his word and be his ambassadors because God is afoot and we have the great joy and privilege of going along for the ride. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you this morning because you are risen from the dead. We pray to you because you are real and because you're alive. And Lord, I thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for saving us, for healing us. Lord, you are a king. Thank you that your kingdom is coming. Thank you that you are going to fix the world. Thank you that you're fixing people like me right now by forgiving my sins and bringing me back to you. God, I pray that uh, this church would have supreme confidence in you, that we would not look at our circumstances or our own deficiencies, but that we would look at the all-sufficiency of Jesus in the word. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is questioning, who is searching, doubting, pushing back, Lord, I, I pray that they would, they would just hear you, Jesus, saying, ask, seek, knock. And Lord, I pray that as people seek you, that they would find you, not some sales pitch from a preacher, but that they would find Jesus who is alive in the Bible and in our lives today.
God, I pray for those here who are struggling, who are overwhelmed, who feel like they're just trying to stay, uh, stay afloat. God, I pray that they would do more than stay afloat. I pray that they would be seated with you in the heavens, Christ, that they would find you. And that, Lord, you give them strength and use them even in the midst of their chaos and pain right now. And, Lord, be with our church. Help us to be faithful to your mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.